Welcome to Mom Fashions, an honest discussion about the beauty and burden of motherhood. I'm Emily. And I'm Beth. And we hope these next few minutes encourage, inspire, and remind you that we are all in this together. This is Mom Fashions, a Fort Worth Moms production. Episode 57, The Parent-Teacher Relationship. Why did you make that scary face? I was like, "Because the parent-teacher like, relationship." Did I just, this is how I feel about it. What did it? I just say? That's the I'm face sorry. that I make when I think about parent-teacher mm. relationships. All right, hello, mom fashion friends. Welcome to this very special episode, and we have a very special guest joining us today. I want to say hello to our friend Laurie. She is a writer with the Fort Worth Moms team, and she is joining us today to talk about the parent-teacher relationship. So, Laurie, I'm going to throw it to you, and I'm going to let you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and also, you know, kind of what what qualifies you to jump into this discussion? <laughs> so, I am Laurie. Thank you for the introduction. I am a former teacher. I left when the cost of daycare outweighed the salary I was bringing home. I have three young kids, seven, five, and four, and they are all school-aged for the first time this year. Um, Previously, I taught for 12 years, the majority with Fort Worth ISD in the middle school level, which is, there's a special place for teachers who love middle school. I've also taught high school briefly and abroad at a university very briefly. So yeah, that's me. Yay. And we are so thankful that you agreed to chat with us today because, you know, the idea for this episode actually came from a discussion Beth and I got into when we did the discipline discussions Mm -hmm. episode. You remember that one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it that conversation kind of trickled into how you handle it when maybe you disagree with your teacher's disciplinary tactics and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, which we'll get into. And we just got to think it it would be great to have someone join us who has the, that teacher perspective, but also, you know, you have that mom perspective as well, too. So mm-hmm. I want to just start us off with maybe each of us talking like in an overview. How do you generally feel about the parent-teacher relationship? Like, sort of, what are your stereotypes, your expectations? What kind of feeling do you get when I say that word in your mind? Okay, Beth, I'll start with you. I knew you were going to start yeah, with just, me. Just do it. Just do it. I, uh, this is going to be one of those areas, I think, that we are very opposite, Emily. And so... <laughs> Maybe not. You I, always think that. I, I, and then I you're do. like, Emily, I do I think because I, I know a lot about how you approach parent-teacher relationships. And I feel like you're confident in the way that you do that. And mine is the opposite in that it makes me very uncomfortable. And even though my child is now in fourth grade... I am still like, I have no idea how to navigate this. Like, if I have a teacher that I'm like, man, we could be friends. I'm like, oh, no, don't let her know that because that would be weird. Like, don't be weird, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> kind of my whole my whole mantra in, like, parent-teacher relationships is, like, don't be weird. <laughs> just be cool. Be cool. And I think it goes back to, like, just 
the way that I interacted with teachers and professors as a student, even. It was always this authority figure. And I still have a hard time coming to, I think, the idea that we are peers. Yeah, that you have as much authority as the the teacher does because it's your kids. Yes, yes. And I've had friends even say that to me, not in so many words, but like I'd be like, is it okay if I come and get my kid for this or that? Like, what do you think? And she's like, it's your kid. You can do whatever. And I'm like, but there are teachers and administrators (laughs) and what will they think of me? You know, so I just, I find myself very timid, I think, Mm -hmm. and not very assertive. And I've had very few instances where I feel like I've needed to advocate for my child in the classroom. And so I think that's part of it. I think if I were in a position or if my child were in a position where there was something going on that I needed to advocate more openly, Mm -hmm. I think that would change my perspective. But so far, we've just kind of gotten lucky and had teachers that, you know, we enjoyed and and we haven't had to deal with things like 504s or, you know, just anything to do that would kind of make a special case within the classroom. You You have kind of typical kids. Yeah. 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 I think that's why I haven't had to go over that hurdle yet of like, just get over how timid you're feeling. Like these women are probably younger than you. you know? Right. Yeah. So just being able to find that balance of like, yes, they are an authority figure, but more for my child and I need to come alongside them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been a journey for me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. I think this is a totally loaded topic. <laughs> I know. And you're so excited yeah, about it, aren't you? <laughs> okay. All right. Lori, what do you, what do you think? What's your just gut reaction like to when you hear we're going to talk about parent teacher relationships? Uh, so my first comment, so Beth hit it right away, which is, from the teacher perspective, you absolutely know when you are getting a parent that had a negative experience as a child with their teacher. And that's often how parents will approach the teacher. Um, And it could be timid. It's that kind of that memory of that authoritarian relationship. It could be aggressive. Um, And that one is actually pretty common. Parents who are very aggressive. And I I would say at times borderline abusive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, it's one of those things that's, you know, as a teacher, you, you know, that that's coming from their experience and a a wound or a trauma in childhood. And that's not, you know, related to you as the teacher. There's, there are definitely the, the different types of parents and those are pretty easy to spot. The PTA parent, the parent who had the negative experience, the timid parent who had the authoritative relationship with their teacher, and then uh, the peer, (laughs) the peer parent. The peer parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like the peer parent. That's, it's so interesting to me to hear it from the other side. Yeah. You know, I can, I can see. I mean, I totally, like, I'm like, yes, I totally believe you. Like, Mm -hmm. even like being now in school, She's been in school six years, so I've been around a while. And I've also gotten to know the other parents more, you know, and you get to know the teachers and stuff. Yeah, you 
you see that and it's just like with anything i mean even like my husband in uh his kind of work like you do kind of start like categorizing people and you can kind of peg them pretty early on as to like what their personality is going to be like we're not that varied you know yeah but I definitely would say, I mean, I'm afraid that I'm an aggressive parent, right? <laughs> this is what I'm afraid of. I don't think that I have any negative experiences with teachers. I mean, there's not really a lot of that. Um, I do think it's probably just more my personality. Mm. Um, and that confidence, though, Beth, has grown over the years, right? Yeah. I had... And I say I had I had a wonderful kindergarten teacher for Anna's first year because she's because it is like when you they're also kind of yeah. they're part of your life. I, I say we had such and such teacher because mm-hmm. I interact with this man or woman. She was a really great first year teacher for me to have and taught me actually a lot about what it means to be a parent who advocates for their kiddo. Mm-hmm. And then I learned a lot through fire for her first grade year when we were teamed up with the teacher who just ended up not being a match. And I learned from the mistakes I made in that year. And I would love to go back and re- redo mm-hmm. that one. And that was, I think, the year maybe I'm aggressive now because of that year. I would like to be a peer. In my heart, I want them to respect me and mm-hmm. I want to res- like respect them. But sometimes, from my perspective, I feel like I'm asking things of them that makes them uncomfortable mm-hmm. and makes them have to sort of change the way they do things. That, I've found, is one of the trickiest spots in the parent-teacher relationship. My gut reaction, though, is whenever you mention it, like, I'm sad to say, but I feel kind of weary about it. Like, when you just bring it up, it makes me feel weary. And the first thing is because every year we get a new teacher. And now that she's older, she has more than one teacher. And so I have to give the same presentation. Like, I feel like I have to do a song and dance. Here's a PowerPoint presentation. Because my oldest child isn't typical, right? Mm -hmm. We have a 504 for severe food allergies. We have a 504 for ADHD, generalized anxiety disorder, adjustment disorder, reactive attachment disorder. And all of these things are part of who she is as a person. And we, as a family, and she needs accommodations in the classroom. So it's, I hate that we have to start off that way, you know, and I have to just like start from scratch every year. Yeah, I can see how that would be. That would be exhausting, you know, Mm -hmm. from a parent's side. Um, I wonder from a teacher's side, when you have 25 to 30 students, how do you view, I mean, you have to treat each child individually, right? And to be able to balance that, but still have so many kids in your room. So I wonder what that looks like on a teacher's side, if you can speak to that, Lori. So for me as a teacher, when a parent came to me with you know, the PowerPoint presentation, or this is what's going on. That is, from my perspective, the most valuable thing that they can do 
you would be surprised how long it takes to get the information from the counselor about the 504. Oh, I would not be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) The the specific nuances of of that child or things that really only a parent can tell you. I loved that parent. And honestly, in the, the, the grade levels that I taught, that type of parent was very rare. There's something about when your child gets older, the parent, I don't know if they feel that they're not as welcome or their feedback is not as important, or maybe they're expecting the child to share it. Um, but whatever it is, it doesn't happen as often once you get past the elementary school years. And I understand in, in high school, you know, that's the point where you you do need to start teaching your child to advocate for themselves. So I would be surprised, you know, when I was teaching high school, if a parent came and said, hey, listen, you know, so-and-so has anxiety disorder. And, you know, I would, I would at that point kind of expect the child to talk to me or maybe a meeting with the parent. But, but those younger kids, I mean, they still really need that parent advocacy. And, and as a teacher, I welcomed that. And, you know, the more information, the better, in my opinion, and nothing is trivial, you know, even, even the, you know, the types of books they like or things that they're scared of or all of these things, you know, you're building a relationship and those little details just help form that relationship sooner. You know, I feel like, like I have to give them so much information at first to try to emphasize how severe that food allergy is and I really need them to take it seriously mm-hmm. and then emphasizing what her emotional mental which also translates into some academic challenges right mm-hmm. like we these are these are to me like quote unquote like life and death things we've got to settle down that like it's hard for me to even get to the point to where I could even I could even tell you about the things I like about her, you know, or that she likes this kind of book. And I've even had some guilt sometimes with the teachers of just saying, I really do want you to know that I think she's wonderful. Mm -hmm. We just spent an hour and a half talking about all of her problems and how we need you to be in our team. But I also think she's wonderful. And I would like to, you know, like she really likes dogs or, you know. So sometimes what I try to do is if I see ways that the teacher is expressing interest in her and just who she is as a person, I try to send them an email and say, Anna mentioned to me that y'all had a conversation about dogs today and she really enjoyed it or you complimented her hair and that really meant something to her. Like, thank you for doing that. Like, I try to find Mm -hmm. ways to have some communication with them that doesn't have to revolve around, well, she went through the cafeteria today and they didn't give her the right, you know, because I feel like most of the time when we're having these ongoing conversations all year, it centers around what isn't happening correctly at school because I'm having to to advocate for her in that when things don't go the way that they're supposed to, right? That's why I love these new apps that they're using and we didn't, use, I mean, it's been, I haven't been out of the classroom that long, but with older kids, I guess they're, they were more, they're more designed for the younger kids, but like class dojo, or Mm -hmm. it's, there are these apps that provide a lot more opportunity to just trade casual information or, you know, here's a, here's a picture of 
your daughter reading a book in the book corner, you know, and then you can kind of have a casual little text exchange over that. And, and I really like that as a parent and as a teacher, because it does allow for just more personable, casual exchanges that aren't always about a discipline problem or a, you know, behavioral issue, a learning issue. This episode is brought to you by Fort Worth Moms, an online parenting resource to encourage and inspire moms in North Texas and all over the world. So let's jump into that kind of discipline issue. Um, My negative experience with a, a teacher that we had did include that I did not appreciate her disciplinary tactics. There were other things as well. She didn't respect our wishes for her food allergy management. She, um, we had some negative interactions about racism in her class. And, you know, this was when my daughter was six. Like, this isn't, you know, like, Mm -hmm. these are, these things should not be happening in a little class, you know. I mean, it shouldn't happen in any class, but, like, there's no excuse for a little class. Yeah. And so... From your perspective as a teacher, from kind of putting on that hat, like, what are your recommendations for parents when, well, one, maybe you're just, it's just not a good fit for your kid, but what about when you disagree, too, with the way that they are disciplining your child or just maybe even their whole philosophy? Like, how can you get to, like, a truce on that? Mm. Um, as a teacher, I, I kind of have, yeah, that teacher and that parent outlook as a teacher, there, there are certain things as a teacher that you, you should know that you need to stay away from or not touch on or leave to the parent. And so there are some things that just shouldn't come up in the classroom, but as far as discipline style, that is something that's really difficult to change. And sometimes it, it really is just not a good fit. So we had a situation with our oldest when he entered pre-K and it put me in a really uncomfortable situation or scenario because as a teacher, when I walked in that classroom, I knew immediately that this teacher was lacking in skills, that that toolbox was empty. Um, and there were a number of different things that told me that without even speaking to her. Um, and I felt a lot of guilt for the judgment that I was putting on her as a fellow professional. And so I really tried to give it, you know, time and to back off and not say anything. And then, you know, several months into school, it's exactly what I thought it was. You know what they say, if there's, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it was just an authoritarian protocol in her classroom. And if, if you didn't do what she said, then that was it. And for a four-year-old boy with ADHD, that was a challenge, you know, and we butted heads all year. And unfortunately, in, in that situation, there was no other teacher. He didn't get moved and we continued to butt heads the entire year. And then when my daughter came up, the principal kindly moved us somewhere else and uh, remembered that, you know, we, we were not a good fit. The teacher and the parent and the child were not a good fit. And sometimes that's just how it is. And, and a change needs to be made because that same teacher may be 
wonderful for someone else. She was great with the girls. All the little girls loved her. So, you know, you didn't need to to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there are just kids that weren't the right fit for her. But at the same time, I think if you are an experienced teacher and you do have a lot of tools in those in that toolbox, you should have the skills to be able to find disciplinary tactics that work for different types of children. And that is part of your job. Yeah. So would you, so what would your advice be to a parent? Because I bet there is one listening right now who is in that situation. So what would you advise that mom to do? Does, like, do you advise her to talk directly to the teacher? Do you go to the administration? Like, what would your best suggestion be? So I would always advise you to go to the teacher first. The te- you always want to give that teacher the chance to self-correct before you bring in administration because, I mean, that is their boss, right? And it's like you've, you've jumped over them without letting them know that there's a problem. So you always want to give the teacher the, the courtesy of making her aware that there's an issue or he or her. The other thing you want to do is if you know of something that works for your child at home, share it especially at the beginning of the year, you have far more information about your own kid than the teacher does. And so if you know of something that works for them or something that does not work, you definitely want to let the teacher know what that is. Our older son, unlike a lot of kids his age, if he is upset and you go to him to comfort, he will become enraged to the point where he, I mean, he might push you away. Like he really wants to be left alone. And that is not intuitive for a lot of teachers, especially with, at the younger grade levels. They want to come and they want to comfort. And, and as a parent, I don't want to deny my son the opportunity to learn a different way to deal with it. Or maybe he would really respond to a particular teacher and her efforts to comfort. But at the same time, I don't want to leave that teacher in the dark when I know that's not how he works. It's interesting that you bring up the whole... Um concept of teachers and students and parents maybe not being a good fit, because I've kind of seen that just within my two school-age kiddos, that they both had the same teacher at different times, and one of them responded great to her and had no issues with her disciplinary methods, and the other one would come home crying because her friends had gotten in trouble and it was upsetting to her the way the teacher responded. And so for one kid, it was like, yeah, whatever, like no big deal. And for the other, it was it was kind of an issue. And so even just personality-wise, the ways that they're going to interact with different teachers at different times. Right. And that's, I, I mean, as a parent, I tell my kids, you know, I mean, the teacher is really the first maybe the, maybe their doctor, but it's the first other adult out of your family that they are going to have long-term interaction with. And I've tried to teach my kids, you know, you're going to have to learn to get along with a variety of people. Mm-hmm. And this is your first chance at doing that. They, they may not be just like mommy, or they may not be just like, you know, your last year's teacher, but you're going to have to find a way to get along. But at the same time, if we're telling our five and six and seven-year-olds to do that, then on the flip side is the teacher, the professional who's getting paid and it's their job, they also need to find a way to, to address those different personalities in their classroom, those different kinds of kids. Yeah, yeah. and I, 
as like a mom to mom advice, I would always say that if it is bothering you or it is bothering your kid, then it's worth having an email or a conversation about. Like, don't talk yeah. yourself out of it, Beth, just because <laughs> you might be intimidated by the teacher, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the one lesson I took back from that year, I wish I had been more aggressive. In fact, if I do it again, I'd remove her into a different class. And yeah. like, well, I would have made a bigger deal about it and I would have got administration involved. And I didn't do any of those things. I kind of let her sort of like, I mean, to be frank, bully me into like just accepting what mm. she said, you know. But you can you can have like those smaller conversations and they don't have to be confrontational, mm-hmm. but you also shouldn't back down if like you're saying that teacher is not being re- they're human, right? Yeah. And you know, sometimes they need to say, "Yeah, I messed mm-hmm. up on that." Or even, you know, like just kind of having that open communication where you're going to be a little honest with each other. Yes. And I think I will say from the from the teacher's perspective, in today's climate, it has become harder and it's almost discouraged at times to admit when you're wrong Mm -hmm. because you don't know what type of parent you're dealing with. But at the end of the day, any situation that I can think of, the parent just wants to feel like they've been heard, that you understand and that you are taking their concerns seriously and, you know, there are very few, very few circumstances, and I've certainly never been in one where you shouldn't admit that you've been wrong as a teacher. And I think that it's very valuable and it's important to be able to do that because there is that history of that authoritative relationship, you know, and you need to be able to say like, hey, look, yeah, you're the parent and I didn't address this appropriately and and thank you for the guidance that you've given me and we can move forward in a different direction. Okay, so what about when it's the reverse situation, right? I'm the parent who always feels like I'm telling you these hard things about my kid, but what about when you're the teacher who has a kid who's repetitively misbehaving in class Mm -hmm. and how do you do that? Like, what do you want parents to know who have the kid that is getting in trouble every day it's having to go to the principal who's missing out on treasure box and recess and stuff because of behavioral issues I think that and I have had those parents who are really quick to say well he's just a really energetic little boy or uh, well that's just her personality I do take that into account and I do want to respect what the parent has to say about their child. But at the same time, part of being a successful teacher is teaching those skills, especially in the early grades. It's uncomfortable and it's difficult. And the law doesn't necessarily support the teacher in that area. There are some things that we're not allowed to say as far as if I suspected that your child had ADHD or dyslexia or autism, that's not something that I would be at liberty to share with you as the parent. Um, And so that can put you in a tricky situation. And then it does end up where you're kind of just constantly relaying kind of the results of your suspicions like, oh, he's throwing food again in the cafeteria. He's I'm using examples from my own childhood. (laughs) He's flipping chairs again. He's throwing food again. He's spitting He's running down the hallway. And so when you don't have a parent that responds to that or takes those concerns seriously, that can be really frustrating. And honestly, in my experience at that point, 
as a teacher, you kind of just tell yourself, well, I guess I'm in it by myself then. I guess I'll handle this on my own. And then that is a situation where you then later have this parent who has completely disregarded or denied your concerns come back and they're not happy with the way that you try to address the problem that they were not willing to look at earlier on. And that, I mean, that can be frustrating. So what would you consider support from a parent in that situation? What would you want to happen? I think that I would want the parent to, again, you know, what works at home is, so first I check the environment. So what's going on? Is he displaying the same types of behavior at home? Is this a problem that we're both having? If it's not a problem that we're both having, let's talk about what, you know, what is your environment like at home? What, what does he do when he gets home? What's he allowed to do? Um, what does he spend his time doing? And we can kind of see, so for my son, for example, didn't behave that way at all at home. We knew that he, we knew he had ADHD. That was not a surprise, but, but it turned out the, the classroom environment for him and that year was completely unstructured and that, you know, kind of contributed to it. That was the whole problem. <laughs> but in that case, the teacher lacked the skills to, to change. But in my case, as the teacher talking to the parent, I would want to kind of gather that information like, okay, does this kid need less distraction? Does he need, does he respond really well to a behavior chart? Does he really enjoy earning time on his television? Can we maybe get together, the parent and I, and create some type of behavior chart so that he can earn something when he gets home, you know, and try to work together to see what's successful for them so that I can kind of incorporate some of that into the classroom and see what might work there. What about when it comes to, we'll kind of segue into the academics because, well, that's why our kids are there anyways Mm -hmm. (laughs) for academics. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes I have found that just kind of like you can type parents. I feel sometimes you can kind of type teachers after you've been in it for a while. There are teachers who are, are are hyper focused on academics Mm -hmm. and almost like that is the end all be all. And, these other things that may be going on are just kind of ancillary and don't really get, you know, like a ton of of attention. But how do you handle it? Because when you get into academics, again, you have all kinds of parents with all kinds of ideas, like some parents who, if Sally brings home an 87, are upset and want to know what's going on. And then like some parents who have no idea if their kids have homework or not and if they've passed it like that, you know, like you have this huge broad spectrum when it comes to academics. So my like my just struggle has been as she's gotten older is like how much oversight do I give her mm-hmm. and how much ownership do I give her in that? But then how much do I still need to be like involved? What are all your like I wish or maybe even my ideal parent or whatever, (laughs) like what involvement or what role do you want them to have in the academic setting? And I may be, I don't think I'm in the minority. I don't know. I never expect a lot of involvement on the academic level from the parent. And I guess it's because, you know, acquiring knowledge is so personal. You know, it's like, Getting our, we have a son who is, has a lot of feeding issues and is really picky with food. And at the end of the day, you can't put the food in his mouth and make him swallow. And it's the same thing with academics. There's really only so much the parent can do 
you know, they can't cram that knowledge in the head. And so I guess from thinking about it that way as the teacher, if that child is seventh grade and up, I don't expect that the parent is doing anything um, as far as trying to aid that learning along. Um, And again, I might be in the minority on that, but as a parent, I'm fairly hands-off as well when it comes to homework. I would expect that the parent has focused or set up healthy habits. So when the child gets home, I would like that parent to have a routine where, you know, the, the folder goes on the counter, the water bottle goes in the sink, the lunchbox is emptied and set on the counter, you know, and that that child is building that routine. They look at the, at the homework. Do do you have any homework? Okay. What's your plan? Are you going to watch television for 30 minutes and then start? Or are you going to do the homework right now? Television? Okay, I'll set the timer. I'll let you know when it goes off and you come up here and start your homework. So building those healthy habits, I think, is really, really important. And I love it. And you can see it when a child has a parent who has built those healthy habits. But as far as kind of getting in there and, you know, checking the homework or bringing it up if they forget it at home, those kinds of things, um, that's not something that I need or request or expect from a parent. I I really am like I'm empathizing with the teacher when you are your job is to, you know, emphasize academics in your classroom. Right. You have goals that you have to meet. You have all these variety of parents, variety of kids. And then kind of mixed into that is also um, like differences, disabilities, things that require very creative accommodations, um, and then also like really serious health concerns. So from a teacher's perspective, how do you handle all that? To be honest, I feel sometimes like, I, I don't know if guilt's the right word, but I, I'm like, I feel bad for you because I'm about to hand you a big burden for this year. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, it's not lost on me that I'm handing you, like, a bit of a ball and chain, you know, for this year. And from the teacher's perspective, how do you view that? Like, what's your whole philosophy there? You are accurate in saying that, you know, we, especially teachers now, Although I was looking back at some old pictures from several decades ago, expecting to see far less kids in the class, but there really isn't, um, especially in the elementary levels. They've, they've stayed fairly consistent. Those upper grades are different, but at the same time, you would expect a high schooler to be able to, to advocate for their own food allergy issues or things like that. So that teacher's not necessarily dealing with that, but I mean, it's a lot. It is. And it. I will say that they do try at the beginning of the year before your students find out who their teachers are, they do try to, to divvy those kids up. Um, so you can expect to get five or six per 20 or so in your class. It is a challenge, but at the same time, you became a teacher for a reason. And at least for me, I enjoy the relationships and I enjoy that challenge. It's like a puzzle to try to find what works for a particular kid or to build success within a child that has some obstacles. 
And that is the motivator for me as a teacher to do those things. And so I, I don't necessarily see those as a burden as much as a challenge. And I think it depends too on where you are in your life as a teacher. You know, this year, my son got a young teacher unmarried and I was like, yes, because <laughs> she has a lot more time than the teacher who has three kids or the teacher who just had a newborn and, and teachers are people too. And, you know, they have their own life as well. And so sometimes you, you get that teacher who just has a little more time. If you get a teacher who sees those things as a true burden, it's probably time to go to the house. As one of my old principals said, it's, it's time to find a new job. Um, because I think for most teachers, they do see those types of things as, as a challenge and a, a worthy challenge that they, they want to be there for. I have one last pressing question. What do teachers really want for Christmas or really not want oh, for teachers' Oh, we should have gifts? even led with this. <laughs> this is the most important question I ever. because I always feel bad buying another mug or another gift card. And, uh, and I will let you know, they don't want the mug. They don't want the mug. <laughs> Good, okay. <laughs> they really don't. So I always thought Starbucks gift cards were great. I really, when it, when a parent really got me, they brought me wine. That's not always mm-hmm. appropriate. <laughs> to have your first grader carrying in a bag of wine to school yeah. for the teacher. Thought, especially last year, I was like, can I get you a subscription to like a monthly wine club? But yes. yeah, it's hard to know when that's appropriate and how to have it delivered. Right. Yeah, some, some teachers, that's their thing and, and some, you know, not so much and that's okay. But um, I, I do think teachers love, they do love gift cards, but they love personalized stuff too. I always loved um, a personalized ornament or something that somebody made, like their mom makes something. I, I make stuff. And so I, I will hand make headbands and give them to teachers and I think they like them. Um, but I do include it with a gift card just in case. Yeah. <laughs> just for back yes. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for well, joining us. This is an interesting and, conversation. And um, we can, I don't know, um, like we love no, our I, teachers. And like we, and love we can admit this parent teacher relationship is any other relationship. It's more complicated. My encouragement is to communicate. And that will go, I think, you know, a longer way. Way down the road, yourself, and a true relationship with your teacher. And go, I, think, I said your you teacher know, again. I mean your kids, <laughs> but really, I think they're also mine. I just right? I'm gonna say maybe that. that's the the therapy we need to unpack no. with you, Why Emily. Does Emily they're keep not your teachers. teachers. No, but they're a big part of my daily life. They actually, are. But they are, and and we do as moms want to thank our teachers, especially yes. after this oh my last gosh. year that you all are some of the superheroes that we are watching Mm -hmm. handle this pandemic. And y'all have been through a lot. You deserve several bottles of wine or chocolate milk or whatever your thing is. (laughs) Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Starbucks gift cards, but not a mug. Got it. Check. No mug. (laughs) Thank you to the teachers. Communicate moms. You're all doing a great job. We'll see you next time. As always, visit fwmoms.com to see the notes from this show, including links to products and content mentioned in this episode. And one more time, just in case you missed it, 
fwmoms.com. Fort Worth Moms. <laughs>